If anybody does not yet have a small group Bible study, the Revelation Bible study meets tonight. It meets the first and the third Sunday of each month. We meet here at the church uh, in the lounge from 7 till 8.30. Uh, and there is child care provided. So I invite you out for that. We're very strict about getting in and out on time for those of you who uh, care about those kinds of things. All right, our second reading, our gospel reading this morning comes from John's gospel. Uh, I will begin in chapter 3, verse 14, and read through Can someone give me a Bible? Thank you. I had the first part of the John reading and the second part of the Numbers reading, so that wasn't any good. All right. John 3, beginning at verse 14, reading through, I don't know, verse 21. Thank you. All right, here we go. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed." But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Father God, this morning I pray that you would lift up your son and let us see his glory. I pray that as we look into uh, your word that Jesus would shine forth. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So in John chapter 20 verse 30, uh, John the evangelist tells us the purpose of the entire gospel, the purpose of the entire book. Um, he writes, this gospel of John was, quote, written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. John writes this gospel to show us who Jesus is. John writes this gospel because he wants us to understand who Jesus is. The gospel of John is all about the identity of Jesus, his supernatural identity, his cosmic identity. Yes, Jesus was the son of Mary. Of course, Jesus was a carpenter. To be sure, Jesus lived in the first century in Palestine. Sure, Jesus was an itinerant teacher and healer. But if that's all that Jesus is to us, then we miss out on the point of his life. 
Muslims think that Jesus was a prophet. And they entirely miss the point. Secular pagans and atheists think that Jesus is a grand moral teacher and they entirely miss the point. Something else is going on here. Something strange and something larger. Thus far in John's Gospel, we have met Jesus as the eternal Word of God who existed with God before the world was created. We have seen Jesus pointed out by John the Baptizer who the first time he sees him says, The Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. We have Jesus who sees Nathaniel from afar off sitting under a fig tree through some kind of supernatural vision. We see Jesus transmuting water into wine. We have Jesus attacking the money changers and the merchants in the temple courts with this white hot zeal for God's holiness. We have Jesus who approach, who is approached at night by Nicodemus, this Pharisee, and Jesus tells him that if he wants to see the kingdom of God, if he wants to enter into the kingdom of God, he has to be born again. All of that we've seen about who Jesus is, about the character and the identity of Jesus, and we're just really at the beginning movements of this book. This Jesus is no ordinary man. He's no ordinary teacher. He's no ordinary prophet. There's something else going on here. And John uncovers this secret identity of Jesus a little piece at a time. This week, we're reminded of this very strange story of the bronze serpent that Moses lifts up in the wilderness. And Jesus tells us that he's something like this bronze serpent. In verse 14, Jesus says, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in Him may have eternal life. This morning, we're going to unpack that one verse, John three fourteen, because this verse not only connects the Old Testament with the New Testament, it not only connects Moses, through whom came the law, with Jesus, through whom grace and truth were revealed, this verse not only makes those connections, but it gets at the very purpose of this entire gospel. John twenty thirty. This book was, quote, written so that you may believe. And that by believing, you may have life. That's the purpose of this whole book. And that's the purpose that we are gathered together this morning to attend to. John 3.14 tells us that whoever believes in Him may have eternal life. That's our goal this morning. So, let's look forward by looking backwards. Let's go back to our Numbers passage. You might want to open that in your pew Bibles. Numbers chapter 21. How many of you remember this story of the Moses and the bronze serpent? Okay, a few of you do. How many of you have heard a sermon series through the book of Numbers? Aha! So you know where we're going next. The children of Israel are in the wilderness. Okay, they're in the Negev desert. They've escaped from Egypt. They 
have gone out to Mount Sinai where they received the law, the Ten Commandments. Then they've moved on from Mount Sinai and they're actually no longer in the Sinai Peninsula, that triangle of land between Israel and Egypt. They are still wandering around. They're still living on manna and they're tired and they're cranky and they're unhappy about their lives. And they begin to complain against God and they begin to complain against Moses, the man whom God has appointed to lead these people. We loathe this worthless food. That's what they say about the heavenly manna. Food from heaven again. Oh, I can't stand it anymore. And so to distract them from their troubles, to give them something else to think about than the manna that they loathe, God sends snakes to bite the people. And a bunch of them die. All of a sudden, the plain old manna without snakes begins to look very good. And they go to Moses and they repent. We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. And they ask Moses to pray to the Lord to take away the serpents. Moses prays, and then God tells Moses to make a serpent and to set it up on a pole. And if anyone is bitten by one of these snakes, chapter 21, verse 9 says, he would look at the serpent and live. It's very strange story. Now, let me make two little side notes Before we return to the main theme of this sermon. First, in Hebrew, there is only one letter difference between the word for snake and the word for copper. You add a T to the end of the word for snake and you get the word for copper. God doesn't specify what he wants his snake made out of. But Moses seems to choose copper to make his snake, he could have used cloth or wood or stone, but he chooses copper perhaps because the material might remind people of the name of the snake. Point number one. I don't know what it means. Point number two. Our translation says in verse nine, if a serpent bit anyone, he would look at the bronze serpent and live. Now, the Jewish publication society translation of this passage has an important difference. Here's how it reads. If the serpent bit a man, he would stare at the copper serpent and lip. Notice the difference between look and stare. The ESV says look, while the JPS says stare. A look is quick and a stare is long, and I think the JPS has gotten it right, and I think that Because of a little note that one of the medieval commentators made on this passage, Rashi, who is the most widely quoted of the Jewish commentators, a rabbi who lived in Paris in the 12th century, 900 years ago. Here's what Rashi says about this passage from the book of of Numbers. Quote, does a bronze serpent cause death or life? No. When they gazed upward and subjected their hearts to the Father in heaven, they were healed. But if not, they died. The bronze snake is lifted up on a pole and the person who looks at it, his eyes are lifted up to heaven. 
Rashi's point here is, is that there is no magic in looking at the bronze snake. But by looking at it, by staring at the snake lifted up on the pole, their thoughts and their hearts turn toward God. Rather than looking at the ground and grumbling about the boring manna, Rather than looking all around them and being discontent in their circumstances, for a while at least, they turned their gaze heavenward and, quote, they subjected their hearts to their Father in heaven and then they were healed. When we're finally with God in His eternal realm, there won't be any boredom, there won't be any grumbling won't be any snake bites or death. Those things are only possible on this side of eternity because in some way we and our world are cut off from God. In God's presence, there is no suffering. In God's presence, there are no tears. And so when we suffer and when we cry, the first thing we should be thinking about is, get me to the Father. Think of suffering and grief as icy coldness. And think of God as a warming fire. When you're cold, you run to the fire. When you are beset with troubles, look up and look to God. That's what we do when we pray. If our prayers are focused on God. That's what we do in worship. If our worship is focused on God. This morning we are going to run toward God. And we're going to seek His face in this sacrament. The Lord's Supper. Like the bronze serpent that is lifted up on the pole. There is nothing magical in the Lord's Supper. But if we use this sacrament to gaze on the beauty of Christ and His sacrifice, your heart will be blessed, you will be filled with joy in your spirit, and a healthy spirit is an important step toward a healthy body and healthy relationships and a healthy church and healthy communities and yes, even a healthy nation. Where God is present... There is no disease or death. And God provides places where the separation between this world and the eternal world is very thin. Places where God comes into close contact with His people. Prayer, first of all, real prayer, is one of those places where we become very close to the eternal. God's Word, when we meditate on and listen carefully, is another place where the division between this world and God's world is, becomes very thin. Worship, when our eyes are not on ourselves, when we're not thinking about anything but God and His beauty, worship is a soul-resting place where the veil between heaven and earth becomes tremendously thin. And the sacraments, in a special way, sacraments which are the Word of God enacted, they are a special, marvelous, refreshing place where the troubles of this world vaporize in the warming light of God who is close and present in the sacrament. If you're sick and tired of manna, the manna that God is giving you for your daily bread, if you are getting bitten by pesky and deadly snakes, 
turn your eyes heavenward for a while. It's hard to do all of the time, but do it for a while. And see if God doesn't give you some relief and some of that healing that you need. I feel really bad for people who do not regularly worship God. There's a reason that God set aside one day in in seven. Because we need it. We need to be renewed and rejuvenated and refreshed and restored on a regular basis. Okay, one more little note about the bronze snake of Moses. It shows up in one other place in the Bible, 2 Kings 18.4. During the uh, the reign of King Hezekiah of Judah, Hezekiah was one of the the good kings. The Bible says that he trusted the Lord. Uh, Hezekiah reigned 700 years after Moses. And that darn snake was still around. They had kept it. I mean... That's really old, 700 years old. Imagine if we had something here at Huntington Valley Presbyterian Church that had been made in 1316. Okay, that's how old this snake was. And the people over time had begun to venerate that snake. Maybe they had begun to worship that snake. They started offering sacrifices to the snake and they gave it a special name. And so as a result, rather than directing their gaze to God the Father, the snake itself had become an idol. And so Hezekiah, you can guess what he does, he destroys it. There's a whole sermon in that passage. You see, even things that at one time direct our gaze In a healing way toward God in heaven, those things can become idols, things that stop our gaze. So that rather than looking past them toward God, we gaze at them and we treat them as the objects of worship. Anything that we use in our worship of God can fall victim to this idolatry. The building, the stained glass, the music... The robe. I'm wearing the robe this morning just so that you can notice how holy I am. The pews. Some of us have an idolatrous relationship to the particular translation of the Bible that we really like. Or to the words of the hymn that we love so much. All of these things are good things in themselves, but anything that we use in our worship of God can, if we're not careful... Become an idol. If we are more interested in those things than we are in the God toward which they are supposed to point. Alright, that was three points on the side. Now let me return back to the main point, to the gospel text. In John 3.14, Jesus says, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Now, Son of Man is uh, Jesus' name that he uses for himself. And Jesus says that he must be lifted up so that anyone who believes in him may have eternal life. Lifted up, which appears three times in the Gospel of John, is always a double entendre. It is a phrase that has two meanings. On the one hand, it means to be exalted. Or to be elevated for public praise. But on the other hand, it means to be crucified. To be hoisted up on a pole 
and die in public humiliation. Here at the beginning of his ministry, Jesus foretells his own crucifixion. And he says that his crucifixion will be like the bronze snake of Moses. By gazing on him, not just a glance, but a lingering stare, by gazing on the crucified Christ, we are healed and given eternal life. Three times... In just four verses, Jesus says, whoever believes in him. Whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. Now here's the bad news. All of us have been bitten by the snake. By that old enemy, Satan himself. His Poison is in our system. It was there from birth. The poison of pride, the poison of greed, the poison of anger, the poison of lust, the poison of thinking that we're self-made and can do whatever we want. That poison destroys us and it destroys our marriages and it destroys our communities, and it destroys our nation. But thanks be to God, there is an antidote to that poison. We need to lift up our eyes. We need to take our eyes off of ourselves. We need to fix them on Jesus, who has been lifted up, so that we don't have to die. Satan will tell you that you would be a fool... To only gaze on Jesus. He'll tell you that you should keep looking out for number one. That you should be looking at yourself and your circumstances. And if you do, you will surely die. This morning, I want to invite you to forget about yourself. Forget about the world that's around you. And for a while, lift up your eyes... And your gaze to Jesus and believe in Him. This morning as we share the Lord's Supper, we will be commemorating the death of Jesus. That horrible and glorious day when He was lifted up on a cross and bore God's wrath. God's perfectly justified wrath against human sin. Every time we sin, we pull away from God. Every time we sin, we focus on ourselves. And God hates that. He hates sin. Because He made us for life. And sin brings death. Because He made us for an intimate relationship with Him. And sin cuts us off. God hates sin. He hates our sin. But because He loves us, He sent His own Son into this world to be lifted up on a cross to atone for our sin, and to give us the possibility of a restored and renewed relationship with Him, to give us eternal life with Him. What do we have to do to receive this gift of eternal life? We have to look up and believe in Jesus. Let us pray. Father God, we do honor you and adore you and we thank you that you love us in this crazy way that you sent your own son into this world to 
find us and to redeem us, to be an atonement for us. Father God, we confess that our eyes are often looking at the wrong things, that our eyes are often focused on ourselves and focused on our circumstances and focused on the junk that's on the ground. We just pray this morning that you would give us a moment of relief, a moment of respite. Let our eyes be lifted up. Whence comes our help? Father God, we pray your mercy upon us. Give us a glimpse of Jesus, a saving glimpse. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.